0: Welcome to the FBC Paris podcast. I'm your host, Lou, founder of the FBC Paris Book Club, a community of readers that focuses on intersectional feminism. Today, I'm delighted to introduce you to a star of literary translation, Anton Her. Anton first popped on my radar thanks to Flora, a great friend who also happens to be an excellent bookseller. She told me about this fantastic short story collection that she was reading called Cursed Bunny, written by Bora Chung and translated by Anton. I consequently read it and was absolutely thrilled. Two of Anton's translations were long listed for the 2022 International Booker Prize. Love in the Big City by sang Young Park and the aforementioned Cursed Bunny, which went on to be shortlisted for the same prize. I love talking to Anton. It was challenging for me to edit this podcast because I didn't want to cut anything out. He's a passionate reader with the utmost respect for his writers. He's not just an incredible translator. He is also a great advocate for other translators in terms of knowledge sharing and visibility. His opinions are also unfiltered, which makes for a great discussion. He spoke to me from Incheon, Korea about a whole range of things, how he became a literary translator, the challenges that come with the job, life for women in Korea, his upcoming projects, and some top line thoughts on queering translation. Enjoy. Hi Anton, welcome to the FBC Paris podcast. Hi Lou, how's it hanging? It's hanging good, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, I'm good. Lovely evening here and in time.
0: So thank you once again for joining us on the podcast. Uh, at the FBC Paris, we read a lot of translated literature. We're quite an international group. So it feels really special to be speaking to you today. Let's kind of just ease the listeners in and perhaps you could uh, share with us how you actually ended up being a literary translator.
1: Thank you for having me here for the uh, FBC Paris podcast. Um, Very, 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 very honored. For this question, I always say I fell into translation and interpreting in general. It's a very big field as you know. Um, And so I was a simultaneous interpreter. I did a lot of translation because my background is in law. I did a lot of like, you know, legal translation policy, public policy. And it was a lot of fun, Uh, really, really, you get to meet a lot of interesting people, as you can imagine. People put so much care into it, and I, I didn't care if it was, you know, copywriting or whatever. It was, it was always like you can because you know because people are very, very serious about about their work, and yeah. it was just and I, it really helped me kind of like see what like how a professional should behave and and what it means to you know really really care about what you do. But I kind of fell into it because I I come from a basically a um, bilingual upbringing because my parents, yeah. while Korean, we worked, uh, they worked overseas. So I would like, you know, go overseas, like every two or three years, we would spend two or three years overseas, come back to Korea, spend two or three years in Korea, going to Korean school and being Korean and then going <laughs> overseas to go in international school. So that kind of repeated itself until I turned 18. And then I came back to Korea for college and graduate school. And I have not left Korea since. So I've been in Korea for 30 years. My brother works for Samsung, and he, when um, I was, you know, graduating college, I said, my my older brother. Uh, mm. And when i was graduating from college i asked him hey so like should i apply to samsung like what do you think and he said oh um <laughs> maybe not work for a korean conglomerate yeah
0: oh my and, good brother yeah. good brotherly advice that's why we have all yeah, the yeah. siblings right
1: <laughs> yeah so he was like you know you're you're a translator like you have a client list right just build that up and then just do that for the rest of your life and i was like oh, okay and that's what i ended up doing but literary translation breaking into literary translation was much harder because um it's very competitive to get into um there's this great line in Mad Men where where they're like oh this work is easy to do but it's not so easy to get yeah <laughs> yeah i think it's one of one of those one of those things so yeah so breaking into it was uh took a bit more planning and it took a bit more effort and patience but um uh yeah that's that's how i always describe it i fell into, into translate yeah, but for that. literary translation, I just had to lobby, like, I had to just, it's, it's like being a Hollywood star, like you have to like, really, really lobby for like the role that you want in the movie that you want.
0: So I believe you've been in literary translation full time for the past kind of five, six years, I think you mentioned 2017? Yes. And having listened to a couple of other podcasts that you've been on, I have since understood uh, the scope of work. And just to pick up on that lobbying aspect that you've just mentioned there, it's not enough to just have a knack for translation and to be a good translator. You have to do like the work of an agent, the work of a publicist. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: This is something that a lot of people really uh, don't know about, although they are getting better at it. So I'm very, very glad and very grateful that you asked this question. It is absolutely, um, people ask me like, now that I I signed with an agent and I have a novel coming out next year and we're about to announce like, you know, everything about um but like people ask me like you know so is is being a writer like harder than being a translator i'm like no being a translator is a lot harder than being a writer because when you're a translator it's not just about translation you have to yeah public like you said you have to be an agent you have to like you know do networking and you know be you know just build up a network of editors who know who you are and you know you have to you have to really kind of like be a kind of one person like corporation almost yeah a lot of a lot of work and um yeah and i which is why i feel like um i'm a very extroverted person so for me if anything like i'm like okay so i i I do enjoy that aspect but a lot of people you know when they're when they're translators especially literary translators who love to read um they go into this work thinking i can just sit in a room and do what i want to do and i feel like certain literary translators have that privilege but um Mm. uh the like you know in the past like you said in the past like five or six years it's landscape has really changed and you you really can't count on people just recognizing for you for your talent for example for like for example like there's just simply more people going into it now than there used to be so right that if anything yeah makes it more competitive
0: definitely well congratulations on making (laughs) it making it work i mean you're I was going to say your accomplishments speak for themselves, but that sounds very cringy. not to take anything away from your accomplishments because I'm a freelance copywriter just to give you some context. So um, it can be quite lonely. Um, like what's your idea of a success, you know, now with a couple of years experience um, behind you specifically in literary translation um, and how do you measure your own success? You know, it can be such a weird thing
1: wow um (laughs) sorry (laughs) (laughs) no no like for me um i always want to uh create something that is fresh and introduce people to some to like a really good book for me that's always like i always want to be like ahead of the reader and it's always like exciting to you know have a book where I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait until people read this book because they're gonna love it. And I know they're going to be so surprised. Like, I really always want to surprise people because for me, what I really like about um the books that I translate and the books that I love to read is that, you know, I I don't expect to like them. And then I'm like, oh, I'm not going to necessarily like this. And then I like open it and I'm like, wow, this is really, really amazing. And that's always like the most exciting kind of thing for me. You want people to be ex- as excited about it as you are. And I think yeah. that's really like, yeah, that's For me, that's success. If you can keep doing that, then that's good. Like, it's really great if you win awards and if it's really great if, you know, people give you money. Like, how much money am I going to make from this job? Like, not a lot. So (laughs) that's that's kind of pointless. And, you know, awards are even more kind of like nebulous. I mean, it's wonderful that, you know, people give you awards, nominate you for awards, but that's not something you should count on. So much of my success really has to do with luck. And of course, you know, I work hard and all that, but, you know, everyone works hard it's uh, you kind of have to be prepared to receive that luck, of course. But you know, luck is kind of really, really important and really necessary. And, and something yeah. that we that every translator talks about every successful translator, I know, talks about how lucky they were. That's like the number one thing. Right. that You know, they all come in.
0: In terms of mentorship, or just community, I know that you're part of the Smoking Tigers. Um, how is that something else as well that has been part like a positive part of the change since you uh, went full-time here this kind of support network
1: I think Smoking Tigers which is a translator collective yeah. um composed of technically composed of 15 translators some are more active than others wow. um uh, like based ba- uh, based all around the world but um we're a single language translation collective like, when we were coming up, that was when uh, a lot of, like, that was when translator collectives kind of, like, suddenly became a thing. Yeah, for example, like, we were, inst- we were inspired by Starling Bureau in the UK. And I think Sedilla & Co. was around, was also around at the time. And so, these there were these two, like, really very famous uh translator collect, like famous in the community mm-hmm. and so we were like well why don't we make this for for our our thing as well we we're very we're quite rare in that back then there weren't a lot of single like single language combination like just for korean literature and people always like kept asking us like oh, don't you get really like competitive like but we were <laughs> so used to we, we always called it like the hunger games where <laughs> Oh, this is the third edition of the Hunger Games because, like, we're all going for the same prize or we're all going for the same grant. And it would be fun, if anything. <laughs> and,
0: Just ease the tension, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there are, there are certain things that, um, I mean, like I, I am in a multilingual uh, workshop now, and they're wonderful. But there are certain things that, you know, other, only other Korean translators I can understand. For example, um, Jack Jung, who is a smoking tiger, and uh, Emily Jung min the poet, who is not a smoking tiger, but who we're very, very good friends with. Like the three of us are translating the same poet right now. And, it's, and then at one point I was like, okay, for some reason, like all three of us were given rights to the same poet, not to the same books of the same poet, but the same poet. So we're like, we can't all come out with a manuscript in the <laughs> same territory that would like create chaos in the, in, in each other's marketing. So we need to work together. And so we're kind of like, we kind of like made a whole strategy where, okay, you submit first here and then in this territory here and whatever. So. So i always feel like um that kind of coordination and community is really really important yeah i see certain, uh korean translators or you know literary translators who are very isolated and who who don't do that work and it's always a lot of like what Koreans call have to uh, shovel work where oh. you're reinventing the wheel like you there are so many things that you don't have to do or you're trying to pursue the rights to a work
0: mm-hmm. or
1: to an author for example like there are certain authors who don't want to be translated and so we can tell you that you're wasting your time by asking them or. Or there are certain like extremely hostile um, Korean rights holders, like certain publishers, like who are terrible to translators. And we're like, and we have a policy internally in Smoking Tigers where we never work with them. Mm. So like, there's so like there's so much information that we can share with each other, and you know, yeah. and it, so it's the, really the benefits far outweigh yeah. um, the disadvantages of being in a translator community, whether it's for a multilingual collective or mm. or uh, or a single language collective. So yeah, I think that's that's kind of been um that's kind of that's been my experience in the past five years. And there has been like more of a more of a community being built up in the past five or six years, I think.
0: I love that. Thank you for sharing. There does seem to be a growing appetite for translated literature, which, yay. And it, it just seems to be growing and growing, which is great. Where for you was the starting point of this? Where do you think the, the origin story? Until very, very
1: recently, like people would, especially the Korean press who love to hear about, you know, Koreans doing well overseas, like they would say things like, wow, there's a Korean wave in literature. And I'd be like, I would puncture their blues. I'd be like, there's no Korean wave in literature. Like when I started, there were maybe like, you know, there were, if, if you have 10 Korean books coming out in English translation a year, that would be a lot. And as far as I could tell up until 2022, like there would be like maybe 10, maybe 12, some years, maybe eight. In 2021, I was a judge. Um, I was one of the judges for the National uh, Translation Award um, for prose, uh, not to be confused with the National Book Award for translation, which is a completely different. award. So many awards. <laughs> yes, yeah, so many awards. Uh, and we looked at uh, what was it like 300 or 400 books, and something like four of them were from Korea. And so for me, I was like, "This like what Korean wave? There is no Korean wave." and um when you know i like when i was double longlisted last year for the booker prize all of a sudden koreans were like wow there's so many korean books like being awarded right now and i'm like no this is a freak event this is not normal do not normalize this and pretend like this is something that's going to happen every year because it's not it's not going to happen again for you know the next decade for all we know at the very least so, but this year, um, my husband was looking through some uh, book blogger posts about, uh, because it's Korean March right now, we're recording. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so he was looking at one of those posts and he was like, oh, you know, there, there are actually 16 books coming out just in the spring and summer. And I was like, oh my God, 16 books. And I was just like, absolutely just, you know, I, I couldn't sleep that night because I was like, wow, this is, we've, we've come so far. And now, now in now in 2023 like 60 at least 16 books to come out um i think there's going to be 17 Uh, i can't really talk about the 17th yet but there's 16 books coming out and i'm like that's really really amazing so yes just just just
0: spring summer as well thank you to your husband Mm. for doing that research for us (laughs) that must feel yeah that must feel incredible can we really get through you know a conversation um about career and not reference bts because one of the members is also doing the work uh so rm yes he has been bigging up, um, actually, one of your latest releases, I Want to Die, But I Want to Eat Uh, tek poki. uh right. and also Almond, another book on my shelf. And when uh, I read a couple of years ago, which was huge, uh, Kim ji born 1982. So RM is doing some great work for for Korean translated literature.
1: Yeah, I absolutely have to thank RM, not for for his support because it's not just that you know he is a popular artist and he's recommending books the books that he actually recommends or he chooses mm. are actually really good <laughs> when he was younger he actually wanted to be a poet and then he then that kind of like evolved into becoming wanting to become a rapper so he actually kind of, if you look at his background and his musical background, like he was just, you know, obsessed with poetry and literature <laughs> and art and, you know, rap specifically, like as a genre and, you know, a little bit, maybe if you go, go a little bit further afield, like he was also interested in hip hop and, you know, R and B, but it was like, you know, it was rap, the the rhythm of the language and the, and the strength of the language that really mm-hmm. like attracted him to. So, yeah. So I think it's, um, I kind of I kind of feel like people when people talk about RM and uh ha, and his appreciation for literature I feel like he actually doesn't get enough credit because oh. I because I really feel like no he actually like you know loves to read and he has very good taste in literature and he's a very careful reader I really wish that you know people would weren't were like oh you know he's just you know using his celebrity to like whatever get an endorsement or whatever because it really isn't that it, it really is about you know this is a reader he's one of us
0: yeah, that's just really nice to to hear, and I wish more high-profile people were doing it, especially men as well. It's so great, you know, to have a man championing um, books written by uh, women as well. Absolutely. Let's talk about some of your books. Um, it's been quite a wave for you. Uh, very exciting, and I feel like there's more to come, um, which we'll get onto a little bit Um later in the conversation but for now could you just give uh could you share with us how you um choose what or who you translate
1: absolutely um so I always want to um I always want to do work that's like really just that excites me that was how I normally like used to kind of like choose work and. It kind of like morphed into this criteria of like how when when I started reading the Korean and I could like hear the English, like that's when, oh, I know that this is something that's going to be really interesting to translate. I think for a lot of books, like it was just really obvious that I had to translate this. For example, um, Curse Bunny, I was at a book fair and I, I picked it up at the Arzac Publishers. Uh, I, I picked it up and then I, I read it at the booth and then. I asked the person like selling the books, I'm like, I really need to speak to the publisher or the author because I want, because I'm a literary translator and I would like to translate this book. And the person I was talking to happened to be Bora, who was helping sell the books like at the book fair. And I love that.
0: (laughs) I love that meeting so much. Like it couldn't be any cuter. It couldn't be any more meant to be.
1: Right. Yeah. So I was like, she was just so hilarious because like she was selling everyone else's books. But when I picked up her book, she was like, she was silent. And to this day, I like make fun of her (laughs) for that. I was like, why didn't you sell your own book? Like, (laughs) that's just the kind of person she is. Like she is she's just not she will, you know, go to bat for you and her for friends. And, you know, she's like the president of the Science Fiction Writers Union. So she'll do anything for her fellow writers. Uh, But yeah, so that that would be how I would choose. but then um, really interesting things started to happen last year where people would give me books and this just did not happen. It was it would be like um, people like from like the generation above me, like they kind of like tend to be given books. Like they don't mm. go around and like, you know, translating and trying to sell it themselves. Like they work with agents or Korean publishers or whoever. And they, okay. you know, so it's different. For, it's a different generation for them. But for me, like no one would give me a book. So I had to create my own projects to do and then last year like as soon as like the long listing was announced last year like there was an author in my inbox asking me to translate one of their books and it was so I kind of like started choosing and I was like okay so I kind of need like a different criteria for it and it kind of got to the point where the criteria got so weird like for example I'm doing a fantasy book right now I'm just Ooh. finishing up. um And I actually, I'm not a huge fan of fantasy. I love science fiction, but I'm actually not a huge fan of fantasy. Mm. And so, but I wanted to do it for that reason, because I was like, I want to do something that I don't necessarily like to do because I'm going to, because like that process of figuring out how to make it to something I like, like that's really going to be an interesting challenge for me. And I call this the Mucia Prada rule. Because the designer Mucia Prada. So when she she always incorporates one thing that she hates into each collection. So for example, like she really hates nylon. So she's like, I hate nylon. I can't stand nylon. Like nylon is like the most horrible thing in the world. I'm going to incorporate it into my collection because I think it'll be very, very interesting. Like my antagonism towards it is going to create some is a very good create some kind of like really interesting interpretation of it that was like I was like that is such a great attitude to have like that's so interesting and intellectual right and so uh and you know Prada is like the most intellectual of like all of the designers so I was like this is what I'm going to do and so for the fantasy one I was like I'm going to find a language that works for this and it was quite a struggle but uh, I've been working with the editor who's wonderful it's been such a great great like wild ride um this past couple of months where I've been translating it so yeah so now I'm like now I've kind of introduced like the Prado rule into how I choose.
0: I like that. I like that. And I think it's always good to not just stick to your comfort zone as well. Uh, I already feel like you have quite a diverse portfolio. I know you you've just explained if you can read something and hear the kind of English already popping in your head. And I know that you've also said that if, you know, the original book is written well, then that's part of why you want to translate it as well. but So I guess it's just a happy coincidence that already you have this quite diverse range, which you're now adding fantasy to.
1: Yeah, it's all of those books, what they have in common, the fantasy book as well, uh, all, of, all of those books have in common is that the writers are really excellent. Uh, they're just wonderful, wonderful writers you want to work with the best writers and they come from all walks of life it doesn't matter if they write science fiction or literary fiction or whatever like they they come from all walks of
0: life i just wanted to say thank you because reading violets i mean it's just beautiful and obviously like you you know you said there that's the original writing as well But it's such uh, an intimate book and it is written from a young woman's experience and it does cover, you know, violence is in there, like there are some big heavy uh, topics and I just kind of kept stopping and looking back at the cover and looking at your name and just being like, wow, he makes he makes it seem so easy like thank you anton why aren't there more men doing this amazing <laughs> amazing work like just a little thank you appreciation post cuz it's um, your your translation is is beautiful like it's such a stunning book thank you so much
1: thank you so much <laughs> that that book and that author means so much to me I was once asked um by uh another like in, in an interview for the first book for Court Dancer, like, you know, oh but yeah. do you like as a man, like do you feel um do you feel like you should have the right to translate Suk-shen? And I was like, you know, that is a very, very Valid point. I feel, and I, I think this is something that I, as a translator, need to ask myself over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Like even after I've translated work, like was this like is this my place to translate this, and was this my place to translate this? And I, mm-hmm. to this day, I can't give you like the like the only. I feel like the only thing that I can do is to uh, create the best and most respectful translation possible, and to and to be, um, and is to advocate for for my author's vision. Um you know as accurately as possible yeah. um I feel yeah. like if if there was like a translator who you know uh, a woman translator who was like uh, really really wanted to do construction, for example and I feel like then you know then then we would have the discussion but for me yeah. it was like at the end of the day for me it was greed I'm just I'm just too greedy I'm like this author Mine. like <laughs> I've loved her like since I was you know young and I, I just like I've always like wanted to i've always loved her books and i always wanted to translate her and the fact that i got to translate her to me is like i'm always pinching myself and so for me it was always greed like you can take any other author but like Bora Chung, Kyung Suk Shin, like no, yeah no, they're mine they're mine yeah they're mine, <laughs> they're mine. no <laughs> well, yeah. discussion <laughs> yeah if you want to fight then let's fight <laughs> but um Don't yeah but, well, but, you... but, but it is a very valid question mm-hmm.
0: yeah no absolutely and uh but but that's you know why i want to say thank you because from from this reader um i really think that you can just sense i mean your respect for the original text um and the author um just comes through so so clearly so you are officially bora and uh kyung sukshin's uh translators now I yeah. better be. <laughs> Are we, should we just uh, formalize that <laughs> yeah. here? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um,
0: um, that's fun. It, which is not the, yeah, which is not the
1: case the whole, like every time. Like for example, with Sanyang Park, who was unpublished in English, and then I created a Booker Prize nominee out of him. Um, yes, thank you. Love in the Big City. Yes. Um, so I we don't. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do his next book. It's it's very. It's a very strange situation. Um, mm. I think basically, like, there's this one rights holder in Korea who owns the rights to, like, both of his uh, his potential next book. Okay. And they put me on, they, like, allowed me to do the sample for one book, and then they put someone else on the other.
0: A lot of the translated Korean literature that's coming out is predominantly women's voices, which feels particularly great because South Korea is not a very... I mean, show me the country where it is great to be a woman in the world, but South Korea has had like the biggest gender pay gap uh, for over twenty years. Like that just blew my mind. Um, it's not a great place for for women, and yet there is all of this that they're, they're finding their voice and they're becoming louder and clearer. I think through writing, which is just incredible. I don't know if you had any again any kind of like particular thoughts about that or not.
1: No, absolutely. Um like any I, I feel like anything you can imagine, certainly anything that I can imagine about like what it's what it feels like or what it means to be a woman in Korea is, is surpassed by the reality. Mm-hmm. Uh like there are a lot of there are a lot of like other statistics that people don't mention. For example, sure there are, are a lot of women in the in the workforce, but for example, I think like only three percent are three to five percent. Of like you know executive level, executive suite um, mm. workers are women. Like so, if you meet a woman who's like a CEO, or if you meet a woman who's like you know a vice president, that's like whoa, that's that's very kind. yeah, that, that's very unusual. A huge percent, like sixty percent or seventy, maybe even higher, of of women uh, of of uh, contract workers, of non permanent contract workers are women. Um, like you said, like there's a gigantic pay gap. Yeah. Um, it's not like it's the pay gap. Isn't something like 10% or whatever. It's like, it could be really dramatic. It could be like 30% violence against women, huge, huge. Like there's yeah. a lot of like misogynist, like violence that are clearly violence that are targeted uh, at women. Not because, you know, these, like these perpetrators like need money or whatever. They just mm-hmm. hate women. Like that's literally yeah. the reason why they, you know, murder the murder these women, etc. <laughs> And so, like the reality, really, just you know, surpasses anything that you can you can imagine. Yeah. Um, well, well, maybe you can imagine because you are a woman. Um, yeah, but, the- but
0: not in the same. You know, there's always a different. There's nuances right. between. Right. Where one is in the world, like France is tenth, for example, on the uh, gender pay gap. So.
1: Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's pretty. That's not great. No. Um, yeah, so yeah. So uh, so it is really interesting that, you know, uh, the writers who do so extremely well, um uh, especially overseas, Hong Kong, uh Kyung Shin, um like Bora or um Kim Bo Young in Korea, interestingly, Um like I feel like there's so many uh, very very popular science fiction authors who are women like Kim Choi-up, Chong Se-rang, Kim Bo Young, Bora Chung. I think because writing so much about writing is about like contextualizing yourself through the medium of character and narrative in the mm-hmm. society that you live in. Yeah. And while men's roles have kindly have kind of been stable throughout, you know, yeah. the century, let's say uh, for women, it's been a lot more dynamic. Yeah. Um, there's a wonderful uh, scholar named uh, Nancy Armstrong. Mm hmm. Uh, at uh, Duke University and uh, she wrote a book called uh, Desire in Domestic Fiction, which is, you know, of course, a classic um, work uh, in in the critical uh, sphere. And in this book, she says something like the first modern human being basically was a woman uh, in the 18th and 19th century, because, you know, a woman in the 18th century, 18th and 19th century is very different from a woman who came before her. Mm -hmm. Like with men, it's kind of like, the same, the way men behave, the way men think, the way men, you know, whatever is the same throughout mm. since the Renaissance. I guess, mm-hmm. but for women, no, it's it's like something very dramatic, like happened, like in in the eighteenth and nineteenth century. So, so women kind of like always have to bear the brunt of modernity and change. Mm. And literature, of course, is a way of of processing that, you know, yeah, uh, just intellectually but emotionally as well. And yeah, I think maybe that's why we look to women in Korean society, at least, like we look to women um, to explain to us and to to show us like, how am I supposed to feel about this? Like, what is going yeah. on? Mm. Why do I feel like, please explain my feelings to me because I'm very confused right now. Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> I believe that you were recently part of like a Zoom panel discussion about queer queering translation. Is that right? Yes. Yeah obviously not going to ask you to give us a whole lecture here but like maybe just some top line uh, points or how you feel about that you know because again obviously for for the FPC Paris it's very interesting like it's important it's vital to read voices that are not just the white male demographic that dominates everything and everywhere so I wonder if you could maybe yeah just share some highlights with us sure
1: so that panel was so much fun so um i got to present with uh leila benitez james who is uh, a translator in in new york yeah in america yeah and uh uh, and ari heinrich who uh he's just really really great and i've done a panel with him before um was it on the same topic uh but (laughs) so and we so we got and they're just kind of like operating on a level that's um that that's also like quite high academically um mm. for example like ari like is a professor in um in uh in the uk uh in australia i believe and so we were talking about well like what does it mean to like queer a translation like you know make everything yeah. really gay. like yeah of course we we do make everything gay but like what does that even mean like and so mm. we were like for queer for me queering translation is basically breaking down any binary um mm. so so like you know it's, it's, it's not like, we we interrogate, like, what is, you know, male literature, what is, you know, like, female literature, like, you know, does literature have a a gender? What about like, why does a narrator have to have a gender? Because some people insist on that? Like, what do we do with pronouns? Like, how do we make it so that um, pronouns are not so binary? Yeah so and how do we make it so that like even you know intergenre stuff like i really love literary science fiction but what does that mean like what does it mean to because when i was selling uh my book as an author the number one thing that i would get from my my agent would get from editors is that oh we really like the book but is it science fiction or is it literary fiction and i'd be like i can't believe we're having this conversation in 2023 because you know we have emily st john mandel yeah David Mitchell, we have so like you know Kazuo Ishiguro, Margaret Atwood. These people, these are best-selling authors who write speculative fiction in a literary way. Like, why are we still having this conversation? But um, but uh, like you know, apparently they haven't queered <laughs> the binary enough, despite all of their wow. wonderful efforts. Yeah. So for me, queering literature is basically um how to uh, ambiguating things and making mm. things like not uh, not so in one thing, but. And so yeah, so that's basically kind of like the highlight that I wanted to uh, that that we were all kind of like talking about.
0: Fascinating. Let's talk about what's coming out for you. Like, what would you like to plug? Are there any reading recommendations you have for us? Like, tell tell us everything.
1: Sure. Um. So I my the the author who is the backbone of my translation practice, Kim Shin, uh, author of Violets. Uh, she's coming out with a book called I Went to See My Father. It is um so it's really interesting that there just aren't a lot of like father-daughter stories or books. Annie Arnaud has yeah. a really great book on, on her father. Yes. Uh, yeah. But it's um but it's like it's kind of it's kind of rare if you think about it. Like mother daughter mm. are a bit more common. Huge, but yeah. Yeah. Maybe father-son, but father-daughter is not so common. And her father, like the father in the book, is just is such a gentle just such a gentle person and a gentle father that it's just so moving. And I just cried several times. Um, Here we go. Here we go. I know. I
0: know. If you're not crying, you're not translating.
1: (laughs) <laughs> exactly exactly so it's like an intergenerational uh, epic oh really live, live um, intergenerational yeah yeah it's this this is about a man who lived a very fascinating life and also the narrator who is a novelist in the in the book as well like Ooh. she's also really really interesting and where where she talks about like her life and it's obvious, you know that kyeongsuk shin brought elements of of her real life into into her book oh. so it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be a really really great read. In the summer, uh, I publish uh, my translation of Duna, a mononym, Duna's um, counterweight. And this is a like a science fiction uh, adventure story, but it also has a lot, it is so anti-colonial. And mm. so like, like so much, it's a very thin book. And I, it was, it started off as a spec script for a movie
0: no yeah
1: and uh and they were like oh it's kind of it would be kind of expensive to produce then so I think (sighs) Juno was okay then I'll maybe I'll write it into a short story and then the short story became a book or something like that so it's very cinematic so uh, I think it's very entertaining (gasps) wow Um,
0: I've seen the cover actually on Instagram mm -hmm. and it looks the cover is phenomenal as well
1: and um, what I really like about it is that it's also short because I feel like a lot of books should be like like we need more short books there's a great Japanese book. Um, it's called Idol Burning. And uh, it's about, you know, like, uh, it's uh, it's translated by um, Asayoneda and uh, published by Harper Via. And it's about, like, you know, the whole idol culture. That's a really fascinating book. Like, it's more common, I feel, in the East than, uh, than it is in the West. But yes, so Counterweight okay. is coming out. And in the fall, I'm supposed to have a really, really amazing book by a poet named Lee sung Bok it's called indeterminate inflorescence and it's about it's his poetic it's his lectures on writing poetry Ooh. and his disciples basically uh put together his lectures into aphorisms and this book changed my life because it you know thanks to this book like i do not have i have i, I do not have writer's block like I can write whatever I want, however I want it. Like it's an amazing book. It it, it cures writers.
0: <laughs> oh wow, that's amazing. <laughs>
1: yeah. I I just I just hope like I just hope it came through in the translation. So we're we're about to go into the editing phase, but yeah, okay. that's a really, really amazing book. It's gotta come out uh through Sublunary Press in the US and we'll we'll figure out a UK thing <laughs> somehow. That those three books of translation are coming out
0: okay so you've got three books coming out this year there might be more we hope there's more in 2024 absolutely um so your books are you like full-time working up until like for this year
1: yes I think um I'm actually translating nine books this year (laughs) yeah they're not all going to be
0: the Korean wave yeah. is fully. <laughs> you are the Korean wave. <laughs> no,
1: oh, only only half of them are slated for publication. Uh, the other half are. I got, I just got like translation grants for them, but we haven't oh, found fun. publishers yet for them, and,
0: and we, okay. never, we never, yeah, find them, but... who knows? Yeah,
1: so but... yeah, but work wise, yeah, work wise, I think I'm booked until until next January. So a little wow. less than a year, it's been like that since two thousand and seventeen. Congrats. Thank
0: you. And I believe just before um, we let you go, you're also doing an English into com- Korean translation.
1: Oh, yes. That came out in December. Um, oh, it's out. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Ocean Wong's Night Sky with Exit Moons. Yes. That was incredible. It was when th- that was offered to me. And oh, I was like, Oh, wow. Yes, I'm My husband was like, You have to take this book. You have to do it. Because <laughs> Because we are going to be best friends with Ocean Vuong, right? Yeah. Um, yes, I've been joking like, oh, you, oh, our best friend Ocean Vuong. Like, do you mean our best friend Ocean Vuong? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm practicing it. Um, he's been he's been lovely over email. He's very very busy, as you can imagine. So I mm. haven't managed to meet him yet. But, but yeah, um, that was such a wonderful book to do. I loved working with that publisher, the Korean publisher, Um, um Yeah, I want to, and I want to keep doing translations in that direction as well
0: incredible oh okay anton thank you so much for your time and for this chat it has been so lovely for me i hope you had a nice time um thank
1: you for having me this was this was so wonderful and such an honor again
0: Thank you. So listen, for now, like just take care and all of the best um, with your translations. And I really hope that, well, with your translation work and your writing, um, and I think we'll probably be doing an Anton, her translated book in book club this year. So we're going to be supporting from over here.
1: Oh, like uh, uh I I hope so if you if anything comes up in the book club that you, you think I might be able to answer or provide then yeah
0: would love that thank you. I shall now start referring to you as my best friend Anton her okay oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, wonderful. Thanks Anton. take care.
1: you too have a great day.
0: I hope you enjoyed the episode. Feel free to leave a comment or a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow Anton on both Twitter and Instagram. His username is at Anton For all of his books and authors referenced during the conversation, you can find those details in the show notes. Until next time.